You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Wow, what a great day, and what a great testimony of God's grace and Marie's life, and uh, what a privilege it is to stand up here and open God's Word now and, and continue to preach. Um, in a series we've been working through is the Sermon on the Mount. The series is called uh, Real Talk, and our message today is found in Matthew chapter 6. So uh, get your Bibles out and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Um, the message today is called Simply Pray. As Jesus has been going through, he's been teaching about a lot of things on how we would live our lives and how our lives should be directed. And today, he zeroes in, lasers in on the topic of prayer. And uh, so we want to do that. You remember, as Jesus was teaching... Um, Um, the uh, disciples who were there said that he sat down and he taught them. And uh, so he said, we're going to learn about prayer today. And I just wonder how you're doing in your prayer life. And how much time did you spend in prayer this morning before you came to church? Uh, Maybe some spent a lot of time. Maybe some spent no time. Maybe you thought, well, I'm going to church today. It's kind of covered on Sunday. Um, How much time did you spend in prayer this week? And, you know, some things about prayer that um, with excuses or the reasons we have not to pray. And uh, here's a number of them. We don't pray because we didn't pray. Hasn't been the pattern of your life. So it never even really crosses your mind. And something comes up and you're just on the, uh, don't even think about praying. Didn't pray before? Why would I pray now? Um, You forget that prayer is an invitation, that God gives you an invitation to come before him, to get on your knees or to sit before him in quietness and come to him as an invitation. What an amazing thought as a follower of Jesus Christ that you can go and talk to God, but you don't. Uh, You don't feel you're worthy. Somehow it's like, there's no way I can ever go to the Lord in prayer. I don't, I don't deserve to be able to go to God in prayer. And there is a sense of that that's totally true. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your worthiness is not based on who you are or what you've done. Your worthiness is based on what Jesus Christ has done and how he makes access to the Father available to you. But you don't come because you don't feel worthy. You don't pray because you don't think God cares about you. Um, there's so many things going on in the world. There's way bigger fish to fry than me. And you forget that God knows the declining number of hairs that are on my head. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. Uh, But we don't go because we don't think God cares about our little thing. And yet he does and he wants us to come to him in prayer. Uh, We don't pray because we underestimated the work involved in prayer. Praying praying is a difficult task. It's not a simple task. One of the hardest things that we do in the church is call people to pray and spend time in prayer. Prayer is hard work. We don't pray because we underestimate the role of the Spirit of God in helping us. And we're just, we're more independent. Our, Our North American culture has made us more and more independent, less and less dependent. And so we don't go to God in prayer because we think, I'll just figure this out on my own. I'll just work harder. I'll try harder. And we don't pray. We don't pray because we underestimate the enemy and the power that he has and the consequences of not going to prayer. We don't pray because we overestimate our own ability and The number one reason we don't pray is because of sin. I have sin in my life. And you you remember when you were a little kid and uh, you had done something wrong and you had to fess up to your parents and how difficult that was and you didn't want to do it? Wait till your father gets home. You can tell him what you've done and how hard that was. and, And some of you don't pray because there's sin in your life. 
and you haven't confessed it. And he's like, no way, I'm going to God. I'm not going before a holy God with, with the way I am right now. And, and so you don't pray because of sin. And yet the book of John says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all and all kinds of unrighteousness. And, and God desires that we would come to him. He wants us to come to him in prayer. And so in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus takes time in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount to teach about prayer. So you got your Bibles open now. Let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read his word. And I'm going to read some verses starting at verse 5. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have their reward And when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can bow our heads. I can take a knee and we can come to the very throne room of Almighty God through the power of the Spirit, through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we look at your word today, Jesus taught some things very clearly about prayer. And Lord, I think most of us in the room, if we're honest with ourselves, would say we're not measuring up as we should here. You give us your word to feast on. You give us prayer to come to you in. And and Lord, this one especially so often we neglect. And so, Father, would you give us a passion to pray, a passion to come and talk to the one who loves us enough to give his son for us. Lord, teach us from your word today. Encourage our hearts, ears to hear, minds to understand. And then passion, God, in our lives that we would live these things out. For the fame of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, you know, there's only one thing recorded in Scripture that the disciples, the apostles, ever asked Jesus to teach them. Only one, and this is it. It's found in Luke 11. I'll just read it for you, verse 1. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Lord, teach us to pray. And in Luke chapter 11, which was a different time than the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus basically walks through the same prayer. We call it the, the Lord's Prayer. And he said, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And that's what Jesus does back again now in Matthew chapter 6. So we want to look at four things today about prayer. Four things for you to consider. Four things for you to think about. Four things for you to wrestle through as you consider your own heart and your own passion and your own commitment to praying to God who loves it when his children come to you. Here's the first thing. Prayer that centers on me has a certain focus. Prayer that centers on me 
has a certain focus. Look at verse 5. And when you pray, you must not, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now Jesus said those verses in Matthew chapter 5, but over in Luke chapter 18, I want you to flip there. Um, Luke chapter 18 because I want you to see these verses, because I think um, Jesus then comes back to this when he talks about the Pharisee and the tax collector and how they pray. And you found it in Luke 18, starting in verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing afar off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so we have the picture of these two men, the picture of the Pharisee and the picture of the tax collector, the picture of the one who's supposed to be a man of God, somebody who should know better, and the person, the picture of the tax collector who everybody hated because he was working for Rome and probably skimming off of the top, at least that's the way tax collectors were viewed, and so Jesus gives this picture. Now you have to imagine he's sitting there teaching and they're hearing this and this story is going to go back out and, and some people are going to be pretty ticked off about the this whole thing because once again he takes a shot at the religious leaders and how how so much they thought they had right and they had it so wrong he says when you pray you must not be like the hypocrites play acting that's what the word hypocrite means wearing a mask not being what you say you are don't be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue that's what we saw in this man the pharisee the Pharisee got up there, and the one you would expect to have it right, he uses the word I five times in his prayer. He is the focus of his prayer. There's the eye of acceptability and who he is and how he's acceptable to God. There's the eye of comparison and how I'm so much better than everybody else. If, if the only bar you ever try to jump over is to find somebody who's worse off than you are, that's pretty easy to do. And so the eye of comparison, the eye of doing the things that he did, the eye of giving and how he'd given his tithe and the eye of self-sufficiency, he, he just pours it all out to God. I, 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 I. And his passion was for himself and for his own agenda. His attitude was about what he had done and not about the glory of God. And then you have the tax collector who understands he doesn't even deserve to be able to come before God. And the, the Pharisee who stands out from the crowd so everybody will see him and hear him. And then you have the tax collector who's cowering over in the corner and won't even lift his eyes up because he realizes his sinfulness and there's no eye in his prayer other than to cry out that I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. 
when you come to God in prayer? Who, who represents you? You come with an arrogance and a boldness of your agenda and what you expect God to do for you? Or do you come as a repentant sinner? I don't even deserve to be able to lift my eyes to a holy God and cry out to him, but I can because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. The text in Luke 11 or Luke 18 says, one of those went home justified and it wasn't the Pharisee. One of those went home with a right relationship with God. Prayer that centers on me has a focus, has a focus of selfishness and self-serving. Prayer that focuses on God says, be merciful to me, a sinner. When we try to impress God, verse 5 says, you got your reward. It says it right in the text. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. They might have sounded good. People might have liked it. There might have been a big pat on the back. Way to go, Mr. Pharisee. But that's it. Your prayer went that far. And the one who cries out to God from a broken heart and understanding of who God is and what he's done, he goes home justified. He goes home justified. Prayer that centers on me has a focus. But prayer that centers on God has a focus as well. Look at verse 6. But when you pray, go in your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. There's a focus. You'll notice on repeated words, repeated phrases in a text. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Should make us wake up and and see. And so he says in verse 5, when you pray. 6, when you pray. 7, when you pray. And 9, pray then like this. Prayer is not an option for the follower of Jesus Christ. As the word is like food to us, prayer is like breath to us. We feast on God's word so we can grow and we pray and it's like the breath of God for us. It's as important as breathing. And so he doesn't say if you pray, but when you pray, when you pray, when you pray, pray like this. So again, last week, how much time did you spend before the Lord in conversation? I know this for sure. If you're a young guy and you're uh, dating a young lady and you couldn't wait to text, to talk, to get on the phone, to get together, to spend time, to talk. For those of you who've been married for 25 years, you need to work at that again. Elbows from the wives right now, probably. But what about our talk with God? What about our time with him? Did he get any time? Did he get the dregs that were left over? He got a little prayer before we ate a meal and maybe, maybe um, you know, some other time with a kid over something or, or they were struggling, you had a prayer. But, but how much time did you spend before the Lord in prayer? How much time did you spend with him? But when you pray, when you pray, when you pray, and in the text it says, and when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Go into your room and shut the door. Uh, that picture of the room, that closet, it talks about the, what, this is what we do before the Lord quietly in private. But that picture of that word room in the Greek has a, the idea of a room where treasure is kept. It's a valuable place. It's a valuable thing. This is something you desire to do. This is something you want to do. 
And you're like, well, pastor, if, we're, if all we're supposed to do is when we pray is always quietly, then like, why do we have church-wide prayer nights? Well, there's a place for corporate prayer. All throughout the Old Testament, you see the people getting together and praying and crying out to the Lord. There's a place for corporate prayer. But Jesus isn't talking about corporate prayer specifically here. He's talking about your prayer life and what your prayer life is supposed to look like. And your prayer life is you before the Lord, you with a right heart, you crying out to God, you struggling through the things you're struggling through, you crying out to him with praise and adoration for who he is and what he's done. Prayer that centers on God has a focus Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their, heal their land. And so we come to the Lord in praise and adoration and humility and confession and making requests because prayer that centers on God, it has a focus. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And so if you're the kind of person who likes to get into words and sentences, we'll see that in a second, you already got your reward. You got it. But God who sees in secret the cry of the heart of the person who's struggling and resting and trusting and leaning in on the Lord, God who sees in secret he will reward you. It goes against every grain in us because we, we live in a world that gratification, instant gratification comes and in and, and prayer the God who sees in secret will reward you. Here's the next thing in verse 7. Prayer that centers on me also has a pattern. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Or some of the older versions say, do not use vain repetition. The uh, Jewish rabbis had this saying. It used to go like this. Whoever is long in prayer is heard Whoever is long in prayer is heard. When you pray, go into your room. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, thinking that they will be heard for their many words. Another sentence they had went like this, and when the righteous make their prayer long, their prayer is heard. God wants your heart doesn't want your many words, doesn't want your theological terms. He wants your heart. One tr traditional Jewish prayer started something like this. Blessed, praised, glorified, exalted, honored, magnified, and lauded be the name of the Holy One. Now, is there anything wrong with any of those words? Absolutely nothing wrong with them. But when you're saying those words to be heard by other people, so that other people see how smart you are, you already got your reward. God wants our heart. He wants us to come in simplicity. And he's not looking for great, big, long prayers. There's nothing wrong with praying for an hour. There's nothing wrong with going into your closet with a, a prayer journal and spending time before the Lord. Those are all great things. But if you do those things to be heard by other people, you already had your reward. God's not interested in all these big fancy sentences we have when he just wants us to come like his children. 
I couldn't help but think of, as I was preparing this, I couldn't help but think of Peter uh, when he was walking on the water. Remember the the, the feeding of the 5,000? They go down in the boat and Jesus stays behind and out they go in the boat and and the storm comes up and they're all afraid and they see this ghost. They think it's a ghost walking on the water. And Peter says, if it's you, Lord, let me come to you walking on the water. That's a whole Peter thing in itself. That's not the point. And so Peter gets out of the boat and he's actually walking on the water. And as he's walking on the water, he's distracted by the wind and the waves. He had his eyes fixed on Jesus. He gets distracted by the wind and the waves. And as he's about to drown, he says, oh, heavenly father, wondrous worker of all creation, the giver of life, the maker of, he didn't say any of that. He's like, ah, Lord, save me. That's all he had. That's all he had time for. He was going down for the last time. He didn't need all that flowery stuff. He didn't, God wanted his heart and God got his attention and God got his heart and God restored him and he takes him back into the boat and he says to Peter, why did you doubt? I'm always, always interested by that statement because nobody else got out of the boat, right? Peter's the only guy who got out of the boat. And I think the Lord's like, Peter, you were doing so well. You had your eyes fixed on me. You had your eyes fixed on me. But when he needed, when he needed to cry out, he cried out to the Lord, and he was just a very simple prayer. Didn't need a bunch of flowery stuff. Lord, save me. So can I just say, when you pray with your family, when you pray, if you pray publicly, don't, be careful. Be careful that in your prayers, you're not going, Boy, I, I, I think I sounded pretty good. I think Wayne Grudem would have been pretty pleased with me and my theology and the way that I said that. Because your prayer went like that far. And you already got your reward. Prayer that's centered on God has a focus. Prayer that's centered on me has a pattern. Prayer that's centered on God, verse 8, has a pattern. And then Jesus lays down this pattern for prayer. This is not the prayer we are to pray every day. I'm old enough most of you aren't. I'm old enough that I went to school when we said the Lord's Prayer every day. Every day we started with the Lord's Prayer. And in one sense, that was a really cool thing. On the other sense, it became just what we did every day too. So, but Jesus, when he was teaching, he wasn't teaching him this is what you pray. He was teaching them this is how you pray. That's what he was getting at. This is how you pray. And before we quickly walk through what the prayer was, I want to say this. In in Psalm 63, verse 1, it says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Prayer begins out of a relationship with Jesus Christ. It begins out of a relationship with God Almighty. Does God hear the prayers, the cry of unsaved people? Of course, he hears it in a general sense. But the reality is the first prayer that God desires to hear and hears from anyone is when they turn in repentance and they faith and they follow Jesus Christ as their Savior. You heard the testimony of Marit in the baptismal tank. She talked about her life and all that she'd been through about how her faith is in Jesus Christ and she came to the place of putting her trust in Christ alone for her salvation. That's the first prayer. That's the prayer that God desires to hear from any one. The prayer that comes out of, oh Lord, you are my God. You are my God. I don't deserve to be able to come to you. I have nothing in myself that gives me authority to come to you. I can only come to you because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. I can only come to you because of what he has accomplished. 
I was separated from you in sin and I couldn't fix it. There was nothing I could do about it. Your wrath was on me. I am doomed to hell. But Jesus Christ came and he paid a price. He shed his blood and your wrath was satisfied by the finished work of Jesus Christ. And you have said, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not of work so that nobody could boast. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. And we come to God understanding that we're sinners separated from a holy God and we can't fix it and God dealt with it in Jesus Christ. I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and I am saved. I'm a sinner You sent your son to satisfy your own wrath. He paid a price I couldn't pay. I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm confessing with my mouth, Lord, and I am, I'm a child of God. Oh God, you are my God. Is God your God today? The working of the Lord Jesus Christ, is it real in your life today? Oh God, you are my God. And then earnestly, earnestly, I seek you. And so as Jesus now talks about prayer, really he's focused towards people who are disciples, people who are followers. And so this is how you pray. I'm going to give you seven things real quick. So hold on tight because here we go. Here's the first thing. Seven words that can change your prayer life. Here's the first thing. One is relationship. Relationship. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven in heaven. Uh, Last night we were sitting in my office before the service uh, having some prayer together and it it just washed over me that as I was sitting at my desk with other men and we were praying, we were entering the very throne room of God. That, you think about that. Our Father in heaven. Really? I get to talk to God who is in heaven because of the finished work of Christ, because of the intercession of the Holy Spirit. I'm praying and I'm talking to God. So often my prayer is stuck on the end of something or thrown in before something. I'm talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs and the hope that they have of ever doing anything. And two sentences later, I'm in the throne room of Almighty God. So Jesus starts out by talking about the relationship that we have, our Father in heaven. The word is Abba. Sometimes people talk about this and they say, you know, it's like Daddy. Daddy, daddy, the little kids would call their father Abba. And and it's true, it does speak of that kind of a relationship. But the adults would also call their dad Abba, and it had much more depth to it. So it's not as simplistic as daddy, daddy. We don't don't come to God like that, but the one one who supplies our every need, the one who cares for us, the one who, that's who we go to. Our father, our father who is in heaven If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a relationship and God is your father. And so as Jesus is talking about the entrance into prayer, we pray to our father who is in heaven. Then the next thing is verse verse nine is point two. It says, hallowed be your name or hallowed or holy is your name. And this speaks of our worship. 
Uh, prayer is more than about relationship. Prayer is also about our worship. And we come to God who is holy. Holy is your name. And it's okay to know the names of God. And it's okay to know the attributes of God. And we should rejoice in the names of God. And we should rejoice in the attributes of God. But we do it out of our worship. And we do it out of the sense of, I have the privilege to come before a holy, awesome God because of all that he's done, because of all that he's accomplished for me. And my prayer is about worship, not about what I need before the end of the day. I come to God first in worship. Here's the next thing. In verse 10, I come in allegiance Verse 10, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. How often when you pray is your prayers more about your agenda and what you want and you're looking for God to put a rubber stamp on what you want. Lord, as long as you do this for me, as long as you give me this job or we can have this house or I could have a child or this relationship could be fixed or, and, and your, your emphasis of prayer is more like the Pharisee. It's like, okay, God, I'm coming, but you better do what I want you to do instead of God, I'm coming in prayer and my allegiance is to you. My allegiance is to what you want. My allegiance is to what you care about. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. God is in control. We want God's plan now. We desire God's glory now. Believe me, this message I'm preaching to myself. Because so often we get praying about what we want God to do in our church and all the rest of it. And in the last number of months, I would say, more and more and more, I have found myself in my prayers saying something like this at the end, Lord, if this is not what you have for us, then you shut the door. You make it clear. I'm gonna come with the purest heart I can, but I don't care about what I want anymore. I want what you want. Allegiance. Scary prayer. It's way easier to pray for a hot tub and cottage and three-car garage and expect God to do what you want him to do instead of coming to the Lord with a sense of allegiance and God, I want what you want because you're the king in heaven. You're the one who we worship. Here's number four. When you come in prayer, you come in submission. Submission. In verse 10, it says, your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now again, if we're honest with ourselves, much of our prayer is, Lord, my will be done. My will, Lord, you just, like, I've given it to you. You just make sure you deliver on the things that I'm asking you to do. Instead of coming with a pure heart of God, I want what you want. I want your will to be done. I will come under in whatever it is, however difficult it might be, whatever the extra mile is I have to go, that's what I'm willing to do, Lord, because I want your will in my life because I'm tired of trying to do things in my own strength. I'm trying to, tired of trying to get there on my own. I'm certainly tired of trying harder because I just keep failing. It never satisfies God. I want what you want. I want your will to be done, and the word is submission. Coming under, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. In his time, in due time, he will exalt you. God will do his work when we humble ourselves. That was the fourth word, submission. Here's the fifth word, dependence. Dependence. Verse 11 says, give us this day our daily bread. 
give us this day our daily bread. That speaks of dependence. It's hard for us to understand the way they would have understood this. Um, because I'm here at the church, I get paid every two weeks, and I'm well taken care of, thankful to the Lord for faithful people and all the rest. I'm well taken care of. But, but every second Thursday, I check the bank, and there it is. There it is again. Two weeks later, there it is again. They didn't live like that. They got paid every day. They couldn't go to Loblaws on the way home, free plug for Loblaws today, and buy a loaf of Wonder Bread that's got so many preservatives in it, it's going to last until after Jesus comes back. Okay? <laughs> they, they didn't have any of that. Right? They depended on God every single day. They got paid at the end of the day. Their bread came at the end of the day. And so they understood when Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. One commentator said it like this. The great thing about that is they knew they had to go back to God the next day. The next day. And the next day. And we get so caught up in our satisfaction and all that we have. And, and Jesus is just saying, just come to me every day. Just come to me every day. He's never promised us the stuff for another week down the road. He's, he's promised us for grace for today. And so as Jesus is teaching them to pray... He teaches them about dependence, and he says, give us just for this day, Lord. Give us for this day. We're going to talk about anxiety in a few weeks and, and how we become anxious about so many things, and most of them never happen, and we're worried about things three or four days down the road or three or four months down the road. And Jesus says, just, just pray for the things for today. God, help us to do that better. Praying for the things for today that are physical, financial, health, protection, those kind of things. Praying, bread, uh, praying daily bread for the emotional, uh, relationships, uh, tragedies. When you're being manipulated, protection in relationships or for the emotional. Daily bread for the mental things when, Lord, I'm in over my head and I need your help. And then praying for the spiritual. Daily bread reminds us that we come to him today and that we'll be back again because we'll be in need tomorrow. And so our prayers about dependence, our prayers about relationship, our prayers about, I'm coming back, Lord, every day. Every day. Here's the sixth thing. It's found in verse 12. It's praying about forgiveness. And it's interesting in verse 12, it says, and forgive us our debts. So he's asking for forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all and all kinds of unrighteousness, John chapter 1. And forgive us our debts. But then he says, as we also have forgiven our debtors. He's going to come back to that at the end. And the responsibility we have. Look at the end where he says in verse 15, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. It's interesting that um, as Jesus teaches about forgiveness, we're reminded of what Paul said in Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Why would we expect God to forgive us for the mess our lives are when we aren't willing to forgive each other? And I can only imagine the things that go on in your heart and in your mind and in your thoughts, even as I say that, because some of you have been through deep hurt. And somebody's come to you and they've asked you to forgive them and you're like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. You hurt me too much. I'm not going to let it go. 
Forgive one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you. When you struggle with forgiveness with somebody, something they've done, usually it's because you want a pound of flesh and you're going to get even and, and you quite, we quite like not forgiving them because if you, forget, if you forgive them, you're not ever bringing it up again. And by not forgiving them, every time they mess up, you can come back at them again and go, see, see, see. And you just love doing that. You love being able to do that. And the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't do that with you. Takes your sin as far as the east is from the west. He's never bringing it up again. And you're taking on to yourself something that belongs to God. The Old Testament, and then said again in Romans, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. That's God's job. You let him take care of it. You say, yeah, no, but you don't. You let him take care of it. But, but I, you let him take care of it. Why should God forgive you if you're not willing to forgive? Now, God doesn't work like that. God is forgiving God. He, when we trust Christ, all of our sin is forgiven past and present and future. But the picture of a follower of Jesus Christ is a person who understands what God has done for them and wants to do those same things for other people. The picture of forgiveness. The last picture is a picture of deliverance in verse 7. Lead us not into temptation. This is really God. Protect me on the journey. Lead us not into temptation. This is not about a verse about God taking us into sin. This verse uh, could mean about sin, but it also speaks about trials and things that come. Lord, Lord, protect us in those things. The things that come our way. Don't ever say when you sin that God didn't give you a way out. The Lord didn't make an opportunity for you. There are lots of trials that come. There are lots of testing that come. But God always, always, always makes a way to escape. He always does. His word promises that he will. He does. And every time you sin, you realize, I mean, you look back and see it, and you go, boy, I could have got out there. I could have got out there. I could have got there. I chose that I wanted what I wanted more than I wanted what God wanted. And so I took that because I wanted it. In our sexually charged world today, we tend to make these verses all about that. And it certainly is. But it's about more than that. It's about how you treat your spouse about how you lord over people. It's about the business deal you do that's shady. And God said, I'll always give you a way out. I'll always give you a way out. And after you've fallen it and you've confessed it to the Lord, you look back and you go, I could have done that and I could have done that. And every one of those is an off-ramp that you could have taken. And so in our prayers, we need to be praying, Lord, help us to see the off-ramps. Help us to understand what you've done. Help us to know your word. Help us to be growing in it so we don't get caught up in sin. We don't fall in temptation. We don't, we don't uh, fall in the trials. 1 Corinthians Chapter 10, 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Everything that you go through, somebody else has gone through before you. You're not the first one, but God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way to escape that you may be able to endure it. If we truly pray, lead us not into temptation, it will be lived out in the decisions that we make and the way we flee from sin and cry out and look out for righteousness. And so Jesus says, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray, 
He takes the negative, he gives the positive, he takes the negative, he gives the positive, and then he says, pray like this. Don't pray those words. He wasn't talking about the words that we say. This was a message not about, about the specific thing and just do the same thing all of the time. This is about how to pray. And so what? So what? Prayer's a difficult task. It takes work. And when we're in sin, we want to just stay away from it. And God's saying, lean in. You are my child. Get right with me. I love you. And so Jesus calls out to his disciples and he says, when you pray. So you're going to leave here today. When will you pray? Will you pray this afternoon? Will you pray tonight? Do you have a time for prayer? Do you have a place for prayer? The God of the universe invites us to come before him in prayer. What an awesome opportunity. Lord, teach us to pray. And then, Lord, cause us to pray. It's like the air we breathe spiritually. It goes hand in hand with the word so that we can be growing up conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today and the words that Jesus laid out. Father, they were words that they would have even struggled to hear because some of them were like the Pharisees. Some of us are like the Pharisees. We like to be heard for our many words. We we want, to be, we want to be able to say things that are cool and people think, wow, that guy can really pray. And, and God, when our heart is wrong, that prayer goes as far as our voice travels. But Lord, we want to be prayers who come before you in the secret place of our closet when we can cry out in our sin and you can restore us, when we can rejoice in who you are, when we can ask with a pure heart and trust you, God, to do things. Lord, often we don't pray because we haven't. So teach us to pray. Father, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, I can stand before this group and I can talk into the very throne room of God, not because of who I am, but because of who you are. Oh, Father, would we love you more every day so that we'd be on our faces, we'd be on our knees, we'd be in our chair praying to you, trusting you, God, to work for your fame and your glory in our lives. And we thank you that we can come in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.